Hello and welcome to Priority Roll, an Age of Sigmar podcast from sunny England. Join us as we discuss the ever-changing character of wargaming in the mortal realms. Grab your D6 and get ready for the Priority Roll. My name is Dan and today we are talking all about new Age of Sigmar. I'm joined by the wonderful Steve Curtis. Welcome back to Priority Roll, Steve. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. It's been a, it's been a little while. It has been a little while. It's also been a little while since... Since uh, we've published any episodes, I even edited an episode I did with James uh, Tinsdale very recently and published it uh, very recently uh, that was like two or three weeks late. So we were talking about, you know, oh, we've just seen the new Croak model and I wonder what Kragnos looks like. And, you know, fast forward <laughs> several weeks, Kragnos is already out, has been out for some time, <laughs> yada, yada, yada. So, so for listeners out there who have maybe been wondering uh, where I've been or where we've all been uh, with uh, with work and life being quite intense and, of course, with the lead up to Age of Sigma uh, we just put a little bit of pause on the content uh, so we can have a bit of a reset. And now we're coming back to it stronger than ever, better than ever. We've won this priority role and we're going to launch into some amazing content over the next few days with some Age of Sigma 3 uh, rules discussion, what's changed, what's new, and with some deep dive on some certain aspects. So what I did, uh, I, I've, I've got a, a schedule lined up and one of the things I wanted to cover first were the kind of core rules changes from a you know two into two into three perspective, what's new and what's different. And I've invited Steve on to talk about that first. Some of the content we're going to uh, like gloss over. So, for example, you know, let's talk. Let's say battalions and army composition. That is going to be an episode in itself. So we might touch on some things, and you might be thinking, "Hey, Dan, Steve, what the heck are you doing? Why aren't you telling us all about uh, core battalions and how they work?" And uh, the reason why we're going to do that is because we're going to be doing a whole episode on some topics like that. So uh, that's just a bit of context, um, Steve. How's it going? You know, as a playtester, as someone that's um, been working on Age of Sigma 3 for some time, what are your feelings about this new edition? Uh, I'm super excited to, to, to get going with it, really. Um, I think the, the sort of the build up, the releases, the teasers that are coming out now is it's just got me uh, really, you know, ready to go again. Um, like I said, we've I've been testing uh, AOS 3. It's it's an exciting new edition. There's lots and lots and lots of new changes. Um, some of which we'll touch on now. I'm sure you're going to sort of deep dive, like you said. Uh, but it's you know it's it's out there now. I, I can I can talk about it. Everyone's going to get to see it. Um, and more importantly, we're just going to get that stuff on the table. And, and that's what I'm ready for, ready for. A soul blight already. Soul blight are ready, and we are actually going to be doing a soul blight episode. I think I've got an open invite to you to come back once yeah. once the dust has settled. Once the grave dust have settled, huh? see what I did there. Yeah, once the nice. grave dust has settled on the new edition, we'll be uh, inviting Steve back to talk all about soul blight grave lords. But from an Age of Sigmar three perspective, we did again. We did discuss maybe doing an episode when the book came out, but we thought, do you know what? Let's hold our horses. We don't want to re- release content that's going to be obsolete in a few weeks. Uh, so. Let's talk about Age of Sigmar 3 and Grave Lords. So, yeah, that, you know, undead stuff out of the way. Let's talk about 3. So before yeah. we break down some of the core rules, and we're going to be doing it in order, and they've got these amazing kind of, um, you know, uh, numbered paragraphs so we can refer to the numbers rules. So if you've got your core book in front of you, um, then you can kind of follow along as we talk about this thing, or you can kind of make notes and be like, oh, hey, cool, like 19.2 sounds really interesting. I want to explore that when I get the book. The fantastic thing about the, the core book and the, the formatting is the citations. You know, the like you said, everything is, every phase, every subparagraph, every um, rule is dictated by a number sequence. So you can very easily reference that. You know, if somebody's 
talking about oh you know coherency rules where's that and you go oh it's 1.3.3 and then just straight away you can find exactly where that is um so structurally and layout wise before we start anything it's just so clear now absolutely and i think that's gonna be very very good from a match play perspective as well when you're discussing with your opponent certain things and um they do want to kind of look into it a little bit further whilst you're doing a, a you know an activity you can say oh it's 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 here and here and here's the the reference and then it's nice and easy to find um, talking of having the book in our hands, I do want to uh, do a shout out to the Warhammer community team who have very kindly provided us uh, with this set to kind of talk about and preview. Um, there is a whole bunch of uh, other content producers out there who are all kind of working behind the scenes. So um, ours is not the only view. It is just a small perspective. It's, it's our view of the game. And we do really encourage you to, to check out other content creators out there to see what they're giving. Because in, in a game like this, it's really important to get as many different perspectives as possible so that you don't just kind of see things just from one set, set of viewpoints. You kind of get a, you know, a whole point. And then that makes us better players, ultimately, doesn't it? You know, hearing lots of different experienced players and gamers talk about the hobby from their perspectives, it means that you can come from a really informed perspective so we're going to give you a perspective uh, and we wouldn't be able to do that without the support uh, that we get from games workshop for that so first up steve you mentioned coherency let's talk about that so this is i mean this is um it's been out anywhere the community articles have, have put this out there and there's been lots and lots and lots of talk about the coherency changes um so the, the key change here is uh, in aos2 in Age of sigma you just had to be within uh, one inch of another model in your unit uh, and that was it so it led to lots of strings and lots of you know very geometric shapes all over the battlefield um, the main change to currency in aos3 is actually that if you're a unit of two to five models uh, you still have the, the the one inch coherency of just within one model um, but if you're five or more models uh, sorry more than five models you actually have to be within one inch of two other models in your unit uh, so what that does is actually stop all of these long long strings across the table um, you can technically still do them if you're very clever with the ends of your units, um, but there's massive downsides to sort of breaking that. Oh, yeah. Break, that coherency. So you, you can still do the, the whole stringy thing, um, and you can do it in two ways. You could do it all, either as a, a double-ranked string, so effectively halving the, the length of your, your string or your conga line, whatever you want to call it, uh, and that's the safest way to do it. Uh, so it's the you decrease the risk, but you also decrease the benefit. Now, if you want to increase the risk by increasing the coverage, you can do what we've seen, which is people kind of do like uh, like a little flick of a tail, like a triangle of models at the end. So imagine three models in a, in a little triforce and then conga line because each model would still be within one inch of its partner to its left and right. And then a little triangle at the end so that there's there's a three, a three uh, at the end. Now, that's all well and good if you know you're about to go into... Maybe you'll turn or haul that unit's completely safe and out of range. And But we all know there's no such thing as a unit that's completely safe and out of range of anything, given the uh, decreasing yeah. board sizes and uh, the threat ranges of units out there in, in the world of Age of Sigmar. So all you need to do is kill one model in that unit at the end, and suddenly your, your oh, units at the end breaks. aren't covered by three. Exactly. And uh, that, that people will. this is one of these cool rules where people are going to pick this up and realize through failure i think you know people are gonna put stuff on the table and go oh that's you know that's a that's a subtle rule change and i'm not going to do much about that until you know like you said you string out those 20 guys with the little uh, triangles on the end somebody shoots one model off and all of a sudden 15 models dive to coherency break and 
that's you're only going to do that once. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, um, at least people that learn from the lessons are going to do that once. You know, I suspect I'll be yeah, doing that plenty true. of times. But uh, exactly. the interesting thing is seeing the reaction from the Age of Sigma community to this now, having been through this from the eighth to ninth transition for 40k. This is it's mm-hmm. lit- and the same thing again. Board sizes, although I'm not really seeing as much about board sizes these days, perhaps because the 40k reaction on board sizes was so kind of public that the people have been kind of thinking about it. But the, this coherency conversation happened in 40k, like what a year ago, and it's nothing new. For me, so exactly. I'm seeing all these people being like, like "What a ridiculous, crazy change! How could you possibly do this?" It's just like, <laughs> no, this has been in a game for a year. Don't worry about it. It's cool. Like it's completely reasonable. Exactly, and it, it, people, you know, people are overreacting. It's, it's, it's a really nice change um, with the, you know, slightly smaller board sizes. It just means that your units aren't all over the place. You know, it feels like you're actually more in control of an army rather than you know these crazy geometric shapes all over the place, stringing from here to here to here. So, it, you know, you can still string stuff out, you can still screen, but it it just opens up more um, tactical options for you as well, you know, because you can't just, oh, I'm going to take these 30 chain rafts and we're guaranteed to put a little ring around my entire army. You, you can't do that anymore. So how do you adapt your army list building? How do you adapt those screens? You know, are you going to have these little holes in your battle line? You need to prepare for these kind of things. So it's another challenge, you know, it's, it's a good rule. I like it. It also means that uh, when you're adding units to, when you're bringing units back or summoning units into a unit, you can't just do that weird little kind of, um, you know, string, 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 string along to move a unit closer, unless you've got space to have a three at the end. Exactly. I, I think in the in the sort of setup and screen, um, you know, section of your of your gameplay, it's going to be quite easy to keep the coherency and not really change how you play, I think. Um, where it's going to really test people's uh, tactical ability is where it comes to those pile-ins, the charges, and more importantly, removing casualties. If you remove the wrong person and you haven't quite kept everyone within two, all of a sudden you start breaking down that, that unit. Um, that, you know, so it's, it's going to be really cool to see how people pick that up and adapt to that. I think this is something that Games Workshop have been trying to enforce anyway, as we've transitioned from the kind of earlier versions of Age of Sigma into where we are now, you know, notwithstanding this rule, but you've seen that they've tried to do that anyway with the introduction of the kind of, um, you know, coherency delete mechanic. Um, this whole conga line, as you say, these geometric shapes, they're just not really in keeping with the immersion of a kind of mass skirmish game. Exactly. Uh, it's, it, it's as much about the mechanics of the game than it is the the, the aesthetics of it, I think, as well. Um, it feels more like you're playing a, a battle game now rather than a, um, you know, these, these these crazy shapes all over the place stringing from this. To this. You know, I'm, I'm guilty of it as well. I've, I've played at um, events and... You know, I've had my 30 Grimgoss Reapers chaining from every gravesite on the board all the way through to objectives on the backfield. Um, I just, you just can't do that anymore. And it's it's just another way to, to play the game. It's another challenge for people to sort of pick up on. Absolutely. Right, so moving on to 1.6.5. Uh, this is all about shooting or fighting more than once. So one of the things that we saw was this kind of CP banking uh, and then spamming all these command points into something like, you know, Anvils of the Heldenhammer, Castigators, um, where you could just absolutely chuck out a load of damage um, or getting anything to, to fight more than more than twice, more than once. 
that makes sense <laughs> so fighting yes. twice more than once right <laughs> there we go so i'll just read this so the effects of some abilities allow a unit to shoot or fight more than once in the same phase however the effect of an ability cannot allow a unit to shoot or fight more than twice in the same phase so you can do it more than once but you can't do that thing twice i.e you can't make them fight more than twice in that specific phase so that's really interesting yeah it's a, it's a nice little clarification isn't it i think that there's lots of this throughout i mean there's not there isn't there was not a terrible amount of units that could do that um in aos 2 anyway but it is nice to just be this is the rule it's clear cut this is what it is you just can't do it more than twice in any phase end of um uh, and then uh, i also like how they've kind of started to use a lot of terms and we're going to I discuss this as we go through, but you know, you've got things like reserve units versus summoned units. Um, and reserve units are the kind of units, you know, they're up in the sky, they're in the tides, they're in the grave sites, whatever. And summoned units are units uh, that are added once the battle's already underway, other than units that kind of theoretically already exist, but just aren't on tabletop. Exactly. No, I think people had their own sort of terms and phrases for them, don't they? You know, it's always a common thing when you get to the tables like, right, these, um, you know, these guys are in the sky or, you know, these zombies are in the grave or these these guys are off board. And it's, what's the term for it? What's the clarification? So here is, you know, there's, there's two types of units. Like I said, a reserve unit is something you've paid for in your list and you've set it up off of the table. That's clarified that's what that's called and then a summoned unit is something that isn't in your army list but is added to your army in the play so it might be you know zinch's uh, mechanic when they cast the spells they can summon in new units corn uh, got the same sort of mechanic um, so it's now just clarified as those two different types of units and you'll see that reference throughout the book as well I really like this. Uh, I know that Rob from the Honest War Game is really keen on that kind of consistent language uh, and name having naming conventions. And I think this is really good to see uh, his workshop kind of bring this rule set into that space. Um, you know, he's not the only one that that has has kind of been a fan of that kind of thing. Um, and I know certainly, you know, we'll get onto it later. But things like the in fact, let's do it now. Ward saves. We're doing it out of order, but fourteen point three yeah. ward saves, <laughs> yeah. right? Wards, and, and no doubt you've seen it from the, the, the previews, but there is ward saves are back in, in Warhammer now. But what is a ward save? Well, it's what some people call a death save. It's what some people call a DPR, damage prevention roll, or an after damage roll, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But they're now called ward saves. You don't need to call it a death save. And when your Stormcast model is making a death save, it's like, <laughs> why is it called that? Well, you know, in in the original Legions of Nagash, death models had this rule, so it becomes the death save. It's like in 40K, the, the previous editions in like 6th edition, I think, there was a detachment called the Necron Decurian detachment, which was like a mega war scroll battalion thing. And yeah. everyone called their Space Marine version of that their Jukurian detachment, even though the Jukurian detachment was the uh, the Necron thing. And now, now it's just called a ward save, which is great. It's, it just clarifies everything, doesn't it? It really tidies things up. And um, it's about the unified language, because like you said, it's when you want to re refer back to some things or when GW refer back to stuff later in this book, everything they do from this point on is like, well, it's ward it's built in you know you don't have to have the the death save in quotations or whatever someone's version of that is um and it's really clear here it's some abilities allow you to roll a dice to negate a wound that is allocated to a model abilities of this type are referred to a ward so any ability that allows you to negate a wound is called a ward save you know and some war scrolls have got 
some sort of prevention on their scroll, some some of it's allegiance, some of it's this, some of it's that, and it's now just all clarified as a ward roll, and you can only make one ward roll. Um, so you can't stack it with, you know, death save plus a this save plus a this save. It's, you get one save, it's a ward roll, and that's what it is. Now, on changing language, there is a very, very important rule which has now got its a new name, which is a name that didn't, ironically, didn't actually exist in Age of Sigmar before. And I'm, of course, talking about rule 4.1, priority rule. <laughs> it's the most important rule, right? It is the most important rule, 4.1. I live and breathe 4.1. Um, <laughs> I'm just really, I'm just really excited that Games Workshop have taken the kind of the formal recognition to give this podcast their own rule. <laughs> um, just rename the podcast 4.1. I think that'll 4. be a 1. nice little soul nod. Yeah. Oh, we've already had episode 41. That's a shame. We could have had like episode 4.1 and made a thing about it, but never mind. Uh, and we are in bold and in capitals and a title. <laughs> um, and so this one says, at the start of each battle round, the players must roll off. This is called the priority roll. Uh, the winner has priority in the battle round and must decide decide rather who takes first turn and who will take second turn. Um, in the event of a tied roll, you still, you know, the previous person that went first, you don't, you, you don't get a double turn if you tie, it goes to them. That's fine. But really crucially here, 4.1.1 allows you to get an additional command point if you go second. And that's really useful because there, we're going to be talking about it in a future episode about all these different ways in which you can interact in your op uh, opponent's uh, turn themselves as a as a player. So you, there's more player agency and there's less downtime. Exactly. There's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of ways in 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 the book that you can get these additional CP, and it's just something that we're not used to. You know, AOS two was uh, you could potentially buy one for fifty points. Sometimes you got one on a you know, got one on a battalion, um, but you had to be fairly reserved with them. You only got one a turn. This uh, this is massive. You know, being able to opt to go second to get twice as many CP off the bat is uh, just incredible. And when you see how many different command abilities you have access to, when you can use them, um, they become really, really important. So it's just, you know, anything that allows a player to make more decisions or give them the options, you know, to potentially make the wrong decision um, is, is good in my books. I'm, I'm all for that. And you are, as you say, you're going to have bucket loads of CP because if you go first, you get one CP and whoever goes second in that battle round gets two. Um, however, at the start of your hero phase, you also get another one if your uh, general's alive. It's even better than that, to be fair. It's um, at the start of the hero phase, not your hero phase. So both players. You are, you are correct. Yeah, so both yeah. players. And that, I guess that goes into the whole point of increasing player agency. So that regardless of how many CP that uh, player has, they're still getting an extra one at the start of the hero phase. And really, really interestingly, you're going to be really encouraged to, you might as well use them because they no longer survive until the end of uh, the game. They, well, you lose them at the end of the battle round. Exactly, which is massive. So <laughs> you, if you're going second, it's really good to go second, um, I think a lot of the time anyway, but you're... You, when you go first, you have to be really careful because, yes, they're going to expire at the end of the battle round. So any that you don't use in that battle round are lost. But if you're going first, you're the player going first, you're A, going to start slightly on the back foot because you're getting less CP anyway. Um, but you've then got to save some for your player's turn, uh, your, your opponent's turn, because you do have these reactive command abilities. So do you go all out and use all of yours very aggressively and just burn through your CP? You're then going to have nothing reactive for when your 
opponent has his turn and then he just gets to spend all of his because they just eradicated the end of the battle round anyway um which is really cool so yeah if you're going first you're going to get one because you're going first two if your general's alive but then your opponent's going to get two for going second and then an extra one for his general being alive potentially so you're already starting a cp down and he has access to three going second um just straight away which is you know that's a that's a big deal yeah, and I think this is uh, – let's leave CP there because we're going to be covering command points, heroic actions, command ability in, in their own episode at a future date. Uh, but it is a really, really interesting part of the game. And I think the only point I will say is that unit champions can issue commands to their own units, which is, I think, a phenomenal change. And we'll see people using their heroes in a really different way, knowing that unit champions can give abilities to themselves. It also inherently increases the value of things that can do like a Star Trek bite, you know, like sniping attacks. Because if you can remove a unit champion, you know, that was already great anyway, but it tend to be, tended to be banners that went for bravery or, or survivability buffs that they were giving the unit. Or, or musicians, whereas now actually sniping the unit champion is a really, really interesting um, action that you can take and therefore increases the value of the units that can do that because they are few, far and few between. Exactly that. And they are the key for the two things we covered so far, which is the command points and who can who can issue those commands and also coherency because the two things are so massive now. So those Mortec crawlers are looking pretty good. Um, to drop those, those, those terrible, terrible multi callers <laughs> that no one took are suddenly looking a lot better, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, stonks are up. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we're going to skip past some of the uh, some of the kind of hero phase stuff because we're going to be covering it in a future episode. Uh, yeah. But attacking, let's go on to uh, section thirteen, which is attacking. It's a uh, thirteen point three covers a really interesting uh, thing, which forty k has already kind of taken on. But you can't modify anything more than minus one or plus one, um, with the exception of saves, clearly. So to, to, to hit, you can't be more than minus one or plus one to hit. You can't be more than minus one or plus one to wound. And you can't be more than plus one to your save. But you can clearly be more, you know, rendered one, two, three and beyond. Yeah, exactly. And there's, there's a very key thing to um, sort of point out here, which I don't really think has been covered before. Um, but the hit roll cannot be modified by more than a plus one or minus one. Okay, it doesn't mean that you just can get plus one to hit and that's it. It's the end all effect is more than plus one. Okay, so it's a cumulative thing. So cumulative. you could be plus three, but your opponent could be minus one, which would mean you would Ten. normally be plus two. But that still means you're only it's counter plus one. plus one exactly so uh, there's if were your opponent to be minus two you would still get minus one it doesn't mean that the minuses kind of cancel each other out it's it's once you've done all the maths the most you can be is minus one plus one exactly and i think that is a still happen exactly and that's a massive point to to, to pick out here because it's not something that's really been covered on uh, the gw articles and bits and pieces but it's a very important point because you know i've seen people that have taken some of the snippets from a line and said oh you know why would you why would you ever do this because you can only ever get what plus one it's like well you can but what happens if you're playing against gits and you're at, you know you've got nets you've got the spells you've you're at minus three to hit all of a sudden having access to two plus one to hits is uh is pretty good um yeah. equally gits players are probably sat there thinking there's no point in overlaying minus one debuffs well exactly. absolutely there is because it just means that you can overlay it on top if someone's already got plus one you can just put two layers on top of them minus one but it meant it meant that your your first minus one hasn't the the fact that it's been negated is irrelevant exactly that and it, it's, it's it's cool with um with saves especially right so 
Um, we haven't really covered it yet, I don't think, but um, Mystic Shield has changed. Okay, so yeah, yeah. nineteen point two. There are these two. Should we cover those both at nineteen point two? Yeah, uh, let's, got, bring it, uh, let's bring it forward. Arcane Bolt and Mystic Shield have both changed. Dave, you're ruining my show notes. It's not in chronological or, or num- numerical sorry. order. But it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. Sorry, it's, it's just so excited. It's because uh, so the reason I bring it up, right, is because um, there's a really back to being plus one. Yeah, it's plus one save. Okay, so Mystic Shield is now plus one save, which um, you know. On first glance, that's just absolutely incredible. You know how 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 much have you wanted your three up save monster to be a to be a two plus, right? But there's still loads of rend kicking about. There's still ways to do mortal wounds to get through that. Um, but the reason I bring it up on this section is because we're talking about the save stacking. So yes, you can't be more than plus one overall. But if you have multiple ways to lay on the plus one saves, and somebody hits you with rend three, you can start to negate that um so all of a sudden the gash who can cast mystic shield eight times um it's starting to look pretty good because <laughs> he can you know if, you, if you're about to charge him into archeon he's rent two rent three you can stack up three mystic shields and negate that um there are kings mate he's dead don't worry about it i mean that happens more often than not laurie can attest um <laughs> so, poor laurie just doesn't she just avoid using he just <laughs> avoid using large models like laurie and, and nagash and archeon it's just he's gonna he's gonna lose them and it's gonna be lost in a really embarrassing way I'll see, it's the other way around. My name, my Nagash gets Slayer kinged by by Laurie's arc. You should have handed handed dusted him. I know, it keeps dodging it. It's no good. No good. But I mean, it's it's a cool rule, right? So I think that's the thing to clarify on these two things is it, it's very clear now. You can't go more than a plus one or more than a minus one, but it's after all the effects are added up. It's not before. Totally. So then, wards fourteen point three. We've already covered. That's the new version of Death Save. Fifteen point one. Um, is something where we haven't seen a change that was in, uh, implemented in 40k 9th edition, and that's combat attrition. So this new kind of leadership mechanic that was introduced in 40k hasn't come over to Age of Sigmar 3. So essentially, Battleshock and Bravery is the same with the exception that you no longer add one for every 10 models to your Bravery. Apart from that, it hasn't really changed at all. Not to not to the battleship test itself, no. So it works in exactly the same way. You sort of you you add up all your your combat, um, all your units, you've, models you've lost from the units. Uh, you'd roll your dice, and whatever um, surpasses your bravery, that many models will flee. Um, the key change here, though, is the way that, and I know you're going to cover it later, but um, Inspiring's presence works. So the actual command ability itself is the same. So you can use it at the start of the Battleshock phase. This unit receives the command, does not have to take Battleshocks that phase. Um, However, earlier in the uh, command ability section, you can't use the same command ability in the same phase more than once. So you can't now just spam inspire presence across your army one unit can use that so that's big because you some armies have built in inspiring presence to war scrolls like the, the cauldron for the daughters of cain um the shrine for gits things like Little that, shrine that, has, that yeah so have this like built-in immunity to battle shock that's now increased in value because inspiring presence can only be used once per phase um so that's really key right and you've got um I mean, the good thing is you've got unit champions that can use that for you, so you don't necessarily have to be within range of heroes. So those little flanking units on the side are actually, uh, you know, a, a lot better protected than you think because as long as they've got that champion there, they can still issue their own commands. But you just have to be really careful because if only one unit can take that, then more Battleshock tests are going to be taken than, than they were before. Which is good because I feel like bravery was one of those mechanics that 
just didn't have a such a significant enough impact in Age of Sigmar that it should. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And you know, th- there was um, th- there's, there's still armies out there that have the sort of immunity or units that are naturally resistant. So you know, a lot of the Death Stabs saw bravery ten because I mean, it's dead. What's, what's it got? What's it got to fear? Um, but you know, I think some of these other sort of armies that are you know more more human and, and have these emotions and feelings these are the ones that are going to be uh, affected more and it's you know it's, it's good to see it just opens up another mechanic that perhaps people had you know either forgotten about or, or didn't use as frequently before it's just it's there again so people need to be aware of that absolutely and so now moving on to some of the terrain changes um we've got uh units that are over 10 wounds or rather uh, 10 wounds or more i should say can't get cover is that new it was keyword monster wasn't it so before it was monsters couldn't get it um so right. that's just wound characteristics of 10 or more yeah which i think is is a is a crucial uh a relatively minor change but i think you know crucial if, if you are running sort of large tanky heroes who aren't monsters you're still not necessarily getting cover or of course if you made a charge that turn which is uh which is nothing nothing too different from before right yep yeah fairly similar um it's just i think it's just covered there that you know like you said those those big old uh, heroes that don't have the monster keyword but are clearly too big to be hiding behind a wall um now just don't get that cover and the, the there is a specific rule called wildwood terrain. So any trees in the Age of Sigmar are wildwoods. They all obscure line of sights. Uh, they all obscure line of sight as long as the sort of the the drawing between the visibility line is is passing over three inches of the terrain itself. Which is a big change, right? So that was before that was only um, accessible by Sylvanoth players through their wildwoods. Um, but yeah, so wildwood terrain, so all forest and woods in Sigmar are called wildwoods, uh, which is, you know, it's cool. It gives, it gives a little bit of variation to the tables. You know, I don't know about yourself, but how many times have you got to a table and, you know, the wood acts the same as a hill, which acts the same as a marsh, which acts the same as a bit of rubble. It's, it's all the same. Whereas now you're actively going to be seeking out places where you're not going to get trapped behind those woods if you've got shooting units. Yeah. And it means that things like sentinels, um, that, can shoot without line of sight are particularly good. Uh, again, not that they are not particularly good at the moment, uh, but with an increase in line of sight blocking terrain, uh, the prevalence of that increasing on the tabletops, then units like that are going to be more valuable. And it also means, from a kind of a mechanics perspective, that line of sight blocking terrain is going to exist because if you if you only had some sort of slightly small, you know, not everyone's got a dedicated hobby room with loads of scenery, and if you've only got a few wildwoods, well, those those now are line of sight blocking terrain so you don't need to worry about getting a massive skull vein manse or a huge kind of pillar of rock or anything like that which is going to take space up in your you know your, your flat or house or something yeah and it, and everyone has you know some people uh, have different themed tables as well don't they so what you choose to count as a wood when you're at home is fine you know you might be playing in akshi and then you've got all these bellowing uh, volcanic erupting plateaus on your table if you wanted to treat them as wild woods for rules sake then absolutely so uh, i think it's cool um it's worth mentioning as well on that that 10 wound uh, units are not uh, blocked so you can still see those through and over woods um, and you need to be at least three inches through the terrain so if you can draw a line between the two models uh, two different units at least three inches then you can't be shot. So, you know, you've got these units that are, you know, too big and they're sort of piling in all around the edge of this wild wood. There's no three inch between them. You can still see and still shoot. And moving on to objectives, there are some really significant changes here. Really significant. Um, and I love it. 
So objective control is determined at the start of the game as well as at the end of the turn. So you no longer need to be uh, like camping on objective in turn one to kind of tag it. You already have it. Which is so massive, right? How many times? So I've, I've had a few games before where you've, um, you know, technically not claimed it, and then somebody gets some sort of alpha strike charge on you, whittles away, and then because you haven't technically claimed it at that point, they get points for for taking it off you. So yeah, at the start of the game, it just it just means that any objectives that are in your deployment zone when the game commences, they're just automatically yours. You know, you have to fight to take them off you, um, which is really cool, right? Um, and in talking of taking objectives off you, contest objectives has changed as well this is something that we've seen uh, an increasing amount of units in the game count as a certain different number whether it's double or you know counters x number of things that is a flat rule across every single army so it's going to be if if you're a monster you count as five models and if you have uh five or more wounds that you're not a monster you count as two models which is big right that's big so and it's, it's keyworded so keyword monster and, and this is default you know this is the this is the core rule ways of capturing objectives um i'm sure as we you know see battle plans and things later on like you know that that, that might change we don't know but in terms of the core um, objectives monsters are five models how amazing is that um i don't know how many times i've been caught out by you know my huge vampire on a dragon um versus you know two gits that are just outnumbering me by a model it's like that's not going to happen anymore um and it's, it's it's such a thing to get used uh, to it's just going to be six six gits which is you know <laughs> yeah. completely not not embarrassing whatsoever for a vampire lord and a zombie dragon is it steve <laughs> yeah exactly i mean he should be embarrassed right if he can't if he can't get rid of the gits but um <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, it's it's a big thing. I think people are going to get caught out by that early doors. Um, it's just something you need to really think about. And, you know, the other the other rules still apply. You know, the, the more tribes are still um, stonking around with their stone horns. That doesn't change, but it just means that everyone else that has monsters now gets a little boost, um, which, you know, we'll, yeah, so we'll you touch on to, a bit if later. You have, if you have your own rule, that supersedes this kind of core rule in much like most specific rules overall core rules um but you know that you're you're more crushed not you're more crushes rather your um mega gargants and your stone horns etc like that um something that's i think is quite interesting on this is that a lot of your kind of um backfield objective holders or kind of objective snipers are five models so things like tree revenants or stormcast judicators with bows the kinds of things that you would sit on an objective or teleport over to an objective are five models so you're no longer able to teleport a unit of pre revenants or something within range of an objective and, and, and auto cap it, yeah, exactly. Auto cap it if there's only one monster there. Now, of course, if there's a, a, a hero there, then yeah, you're going to cap it. But it also means that if a monster charges in and let's say the monster's debuffed or, or a unit five is really kind of really well buffed or you, know, you completely fluff your rolls and only kill one, then you're still winning because it's five versus four rather than you know, four versus one. Exactly. And I think we, you know, the, the dynamics of army building will change anyway. You know, there's so many different, uh, tweaks and buffs to different kind of unit types and unit keywords um we'll touch on a few things on reinforcements and things later but if if, if units are generally a little bit smaller then monsters counting for five models is is a big deal isn't it you know you're not going to have to worry about these massive blobs of 40 skeletons that you're just not going to be able to shift anymore um it, it just becomes more value and two two models for for heroes contesting objectives like generally you know all the sort of foot heroes that are five or six wounds 
them counting for two is massive as well. Um, the amount of times you'll be sort of running up a, a ten-man unit with with a little hero behind, and then all of a sudden that hero counting for two can just make the difference between you capping out or not. Yeah, it also means you're going to use your heroes maybe slightly more aggressively. So tankier heroes are more relevant. So you don't necessarily need to worry about them being able to kick out more damage. You want them to survive more because not only do they get all the benefits of surviving just in general by being a hero and they can kick out whatever abilities they have, but also it's an extra an extra uh, pip of kind of uh, objective capping power than it would otherwise be. So when I was building my... Um, What's he called? Swamp knob or something. <laughs> Merc knob. There we go. A Merc knob. Uh, when I was assembling my Merc knob that comes with a Dominion set, he has a he has a, a big axe that he's waving around above his head, and you can either have this kind of like flail thing, or you can have a shield. And I just thought, well, I think more resilient heroes are going to be more relevant, so I gave him the shield. Plus, I get to paint the shield red. It's got a grinny face on it. Like, who, who doesn't like that? But uh, that was my at least my logic going through. I think resilience, small resilient tanky heroes are going to be a thing. Great. Yeah. Totally agree. And I think other other units come into their own as well. Um, Barangard are five or more wounds, aren't they? So they count for two models each. So three of them counts for six models, which makes a big difference. Um, you don't realise that until you play against it. Um, Ghoul Grunters, similar. Um, so, you know, you've got some cool little uh, little buffs all over the place, really. And anything that makes Ghoul Grunters good is good in my book. <laughs> We've covered some of the changes to magic already because we discussed Mystic Shield being plus one, um, and now Arcane Bolts change as well. Steve, do you want to talk us through some of the changes there? Yeah, so the, I mean, these these two spells have you know have always been around since the since the dawn of Sigma, um, but there, there's two big changes to both of the spells. Uh, so Arcane Bolt is cast on a five. Range 12, so that's reduced from 18, where it was before. Um, so if successfully cast at the start of any phase before your next hero phase, you can pick one enemy unit within range of the caster that's visible to them. The unit suffers one mortal wound. If, however, that unit is within three inches of the caster, it suffers D3 instead. So you don't automatically just cast a bolt and auto-apply the mortal wound within range 18 anymore. You have to hold on to it. It's almost like, you know, imagine a wizard's got like a fireball in his hand and he's kind of holding on to it until he needs to release it. That's the kind of, that's the image I get from this. Um, but what it means is, you know, those those wizards can use it aggressively or defensively. So if you're a, you know, a Bray Shaman that doesn't really want to be fighting anything, you can have a, an Arcane Bolt on, when somebody then charges you, you can choose at the start of any phase, the start of the combat phase, to then release D3 mortal wounds because they're within three. You can use that aggressively as well by casting it on yourself, charging into someone else, and then releasing it before you do your combat attacks. Um, so that's that's a big change. You know, you can't just pip things off, but it means you can do it at any phase. You know, let's say you've uh, got your wizard who's put a bolt on, he's then moved up with your battle line, you've shot a unit with a load of shooting, you've just left you know, one or two guys left in the unit, you can then at the start of the charge phase, for example, combat phase, release that bolt and just ping off that wound or that last D3 wounds that you wanted to get across. Um, so, you know, it's a subtle change, but it, it's definitely different. And then Mystic Shield, uh, like we sort of touched on before, so casting value of 5, range of 12, Pick one friendly unit wholly within range and visible to the caster, plus one to all save rolls until your next hero phase. So that is huge. Um, it's just, if you put that onto any of your monsters, any of your resilient units, camping objectives, or you know you're about to, you know, you want to commit to a sort of a two or three turn slog over an objective or something, having the plus one save constantly 
um, which, you know, like we said before, is layering. You can sort of multi-layer that with um, some of the other command abilities and stuff that I'm sure you'll cover at some point. Um, so if you've got, you know, all-out defense, you can have Mystic Shield on and all-out defense. And as long as you're not overall more than plus one save, um, you can have that layer there. I think what this does, it, it does open up some questions about what units are now suddenly quite interesting. So something like Doomfire Warlocks, actually, uh, you know, really fast things that you can kind of scoot around the flanks and maybe cast, uh, you know, maybe two units, and then one to cast a Doomfire Bolt and then one to cast an Arcane Bolt and charge in. Or something like Sisters of the Thorn, who get an inherent plus one to charge with their uh, their Hornblower. Maybe you'll be casting Arcane Bolt rather than Armor of Thorns so that you can charge in and uh, and unleash D3. I think so, yeah. And that there'll be there'll be a lot of units that will get, um, like I said, you've got these, these scouting units, you've got these fast units that kind of can act naturally, uh, aggressively or defensively. And then you've also got these units that are you know very aggressive by nature, um, like monsters, for example, right? We know um, the monsters rampage thing, we'll touch on that later, but you can have access here to multiple ways to issue D3 wounds out before you then get to swing in combat. So you're almost, you know, just reinforcing that damage that you can do. Um, unless, of course, you're miscast. Of course. And what is a miscast, Steve? Because this sounds like something from Warhammer Ages of Ages Fantasy Battles. <laughs> well, the, the, yeah, the, Age of Fantasy Battles is not a thing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The old world. Um, so old mis world. miscasts are, are back. Um, so 19.1.1. So on an unmodified casting roll of a two, the spell is miscast. The spell is not successfully cast. The caster suffers D3 mortal wounds, and the caster cannot attempt to cast any more spells in the hero phase. So that's uh, it comes with its risks, doesn't it? I mean, the magic is is great. We'll touch on loads of things here, but if you miscast on your absolute buff piece that you need to the buff spell you need to get off, uh, you're in trouble, aren't you? And it's unmodified. There's no way to get around that. So. You know, we hate to see it, but the, the, the double ones are, uh, yeah, it's game over for your wizard for that turn. Not quite Dimensional Cascade, but it's still pretty cheeky. And what this is, for me, really interesting is that it also opens up a whole host of other things because it enables uh, new units or new rules for existing units to have uh, an influence over miscast. So you could have something that uh, forces something to miscast on any double. You could have it as something like uh, a double two as well as a double one or an unmodified roll of, of four or less, you know, so it's it's one and two or two and one and or two and two, that kind of thing. Or when a model miscasts, it's 2d3 or d6 instead of d3. You can have all these different ways for other models to influence that mechanic. It's more interactions, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, more rules equals more interaction potential. Um, and that's really cool. It, it kind of reminds me, like what you were just saying, reminds me of, you know, the old Skaven um, Warpstone tokens. And if you're going to miscast, you're going to miscast big. But if you get it off, you get it off with big rewards. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a cool little rule. And I think what, what this really does is impact those multicast wizards. You know, those two casters, three casters, Nagash with his eight casts. If you roll that double one on your first cast, you can't cast any more. It doesn't matter how many cast spells you can cast, you're done, um, which is massive. I mean, I've had for, that. For that, um, for that wizard, we should point for, out. For that wizard, is, for I, that I wizard. know we did mention yeah, it before, yeah. but just, just to highlight that is yeah. only for that. That's not like the winds of magic all just disappear and, and the magic phase ends or anything like that. It's no. just that wizard that cast and, and can't do anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, magic is is really interesting. So you know the, the way this is shaping up, I think it's 
it's it's quite cool and endless spells there's a kind of a whole bunch of changes relating to endless spells you can't cast more than one per wizard uh you can't come back on the same turn that you dismiss them because you used to be able to like dismiss or then recast um there's this whole controlling predatory endless spells uh, and and who gets to control them and who gets to move them? You know, what do you think of these rules overall? I, I I really like them. I mean, the um the key thing with the endless spell changes now is the fact that you can control the predatories, right? That was that was always a thing before where you would um put the endless spells in your list, you'd be able to control it the turn it goes out, and there was always that risk reward of well, you know, I've paid all these points for this thing, and it's now just going to kind of run back into my own army and actually hinder my entire battle plan, which you know some people liked the randomness of, but you know, for me as a competitive player, I never really took a lot of predatory ender spells because for me, I didn't want to pay points that my opponent could then use against me. You know, why why would I give them that advantage? So the key the key change here really, you know, we'll, we don't have to go through everything of it, but I'll just touch on this, which is the 19.5.1, um, which is predatory endless spell control. So before moving predatory endless spells, you must determine which are controlled and which are wild. A predatory endless spell within 30 inches of that model, uh, so of the model that's summoned, is controlled by that model. A wizard can only control one predatory endless spell per hero phase. And if there's more than one predatory endless spell that that friendly wizard could control, you must pick which one they will control. Predatory endless spells that are not controlled are then classed as wild. So the wild ones still act like they did before. Um, how you determine that dictates this. So um, after determining which ones are controlled, the player whose turn it is um, moves all of the predatory endless spells that they control first, then their opponent does the same, and then once all the controlled spells have been moved, the players then alternate picking the wild end endless spells, starting with the player whose turn is taking place. So you essentially get a lot more control within that spell. Now, there are restrictions, so it's not just every single thing's a bound endless spell. You have to be within range of 30. You can only um, control one, because obviously you can still cast more than one in the spell through the game. So if you do want to cast you know, a couple of them throughout the game, you can only control one of them. Um, and any that you can't are just wild. But it does mean that you get investment in that spell that you, that you purchase, uh, which I, I really like. Like you say, if you're going to invest points in those spells, you want to know that you can at least have a bit more uh, a bit more control over them and not have your opponent throw them back in your face. Exactly. I mean, I, I know you, you're, a, you're a beast player, have been. You've, 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 you've dabbled with the Taurus spell. Um, how cool would that be to, to control that every single turn? Exactly. Don't start getting me talking about beasts again. I've I've just <laughs> I've just come to terms with the fact that maybe beasts isn't the right army to kind of go all in on, and I should focus on some of my existing stuff. But I've got JP talking to me about beasts, and I've got you talking to me about beasts, and I'm just like, oh, maybe actually now now is the time of the beasts. <laughs> monster keyword, right? There's loads of them. Oh, exactly. And it was <laughs> going to be a very monster heavy keyword, uh, Arvi. So before we talk about monsters, uh, and we will talk about monsters rampage briefly. Um, prayers. Uh, there are yeah. two um, kind of default prayers in the same way there are two default spells, um, which are essentially give a give a unit a, a six plus ward or do some mortal wounds to a priest. So bless and smite. Um, and now this is something that existed in most priest war scrolls anyway. But if you if you roll a one, you suffer a mortal wound. Um, you know, if I rolled a one on my Skaven priest, Pestilence priest, they would suffer a mortal wound. Um, that is just now a flat core rule. Yeah, which is nice, isn't it? Because there was always a thing before where, you know, fire slayers get their rule, the pestilence get their rule, the more um core mortals get their rule, but it's just uh, it's similar to the miscast, isn't it? You know, it's called divine wrath. So 
uh, yeah, every one is a, is an auto mortal wound. Uh, um, if if anything, tidies up a war scroll. It just means there's one less thing to put on a priest's war scroll. Exactly, because it's a core roll. Exactly. So let's talk about monsters. Very excited, please, please. Oh my goodness. Enough <laughs> oh, monsters. Um, our twenty one point one monsters rampage is something that's been previewed in the Warcom articles. Um, it's just a four rampages that you can do steve awesome, what do you think awesome this means thing. for armies um so monsters are more monstrous right this is what everyone wants it's um everyone likes the centerpiece models anyway like every every list i build has some monster in it um but this just gives a big boost to those monsters so the monsters rampage the way it works is at the end of the charge phase Okay, so it's at the end of the charge phase. Each player, so each player can carry out one monstrous rampage from the table below with each of their friendly monsters. A player whose turn is taking place carries out all of their rampages first, and then the same player cannot carry out the same monstrous rampage more than once per phase. So effectively, you know, if you had four monsters, you could do one of each of these rampages with all four of them, um, one each time. Um, but you and your opponent can do them. So in the end of my charge phase, both of us will get to select our rampages for our monsters. And then the same in your turn. So it's every single turn is happening. Um, which is my favorite? I don't know. Probably raw. So we'll go through these. So raw is pick one enemy unit within three of this model. So obviously it has to be a unit you've then charged or if you're already in combat with. Um, roll a dice. On a three plus, that unit cannot issue or receive any orders in the following combat phase. So that is huge. That's game changing because on a three plus, you can stop them doing anything. All out attack, all out defense. When you, when you say orders, uh, you're referring to commands as in command abilities. Yeah. So there are the core ones. You've got, you know, all out defense, all out attack. You've got probably a million war scrolls that have at the start of the combat phase, you can do this, or in the combat phase, you can do this. Um, but it means you, you wouldn't be able to do those. You know, if you're playing against um, Rashida Quartz, for example, they can't do their um, double piling, their feastering hunger, whatever it's called, because that's uh, it's an issue that you do in the combat phase. So if you roar at that unit, you won't be able to do that. Now it's on a three plus, so it is it is it's swinging and it is, um, you know, it's only going to go off two thirds at a time. But it's such a cool rule, such a powerful rule. So if there are no commands that you are sort of particularly worried about, you can stomp as well as another option. Um, so stomping, pick an enemy unit within three of this model that's not a monster, and on a two plus, it suffers D three mortal wounds. That's um, easy, and I also like that that you could use that defensively, as you said. So your monsters can stomp units that's just charged them. So, so rather, your opponent can choose to stomp the infantry that have have just charged it. Exactly, and combo that with you know the the arcane bolt we're talking about before. If you've got a wizard on a monster, which is quite common, isn't it? Um, you could choose to stomp at the end of the charge phase and then unleash your arcane bolt at the start of the combat phase. So all of a sudden, just very easy to then do two d three mortal wounds to a unit that's just charged your monster. So you can play things very defensively as well. And I um, think this is really quite interesting because sometimes um, I always felt that you didn't get enough value out of big monsters with wizards on them. So if you look at like the free guild, free guild general on Griffin or the sorceress on Black Dragon, um, you're paying a lot of points for a kind of combat-shaped uh, thing, i.e. big chunky monster, but with a, a weak rider. So it, it was a combat-shaped thing with not combat-shaped rules. Whereas now I feel like you've actually got justification to take things like um, those two I just said, or who's that Stormcast model on the, the flappy Toralon? Oh, yeah, what's his name? Uh, is it the Knight? I don't know. They're, they're all very similar names. Knight, Knight Encantor on Toralon. That's the one. There was a... There was a um, 
a named version, wasn't there? Oh, what's his name? It'll escape me. Ventus Firestrike. That's the one. There we go. He says, looking it up on his Xbox. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't. I can't take credit for that. But he's a monster. As is, is, as is, yeah. as is the knight, uh, Lord Lord Arcanum, rather Lord Arcanum on Torlon or um, Aventus Firestrike himself. So he's a monster. He's a wizard. So you, he can arcane bolt. Um, he can stomp. And uh, interestingly, Prime Electrids. Uh, when this model casts, if this model successfully casts Arcane Bolt and it's not unbowed, then the spell inflicts D three mortal wounds instead of one on a D six mortal wounds. Or sorry. Or D6 model wins instead of D3 of the cast roll was 10 plus. So really interestingly, uh, one can imagine that Prime Electrids as a rule is going to change. So because that's referring to the old Arcane Bolt. So hey, maybe maybe that's going to get even more dangerous. So maybe it can do 2D6 or something, or you know, or it can do D6 rather, or rather than D3 in combat. Yeah, exactly. You hit it on the head, which is in summary, people are going to start reevaluating the stuff that's in the list, aren't they? I think you know you, you talk about your your beasts and you were thinking about dabbling on those. I mean, how many monsters have those guys got access to? Um, so you start to think about what you can do, and then how does that impact what you, well, you can go? Well, if I charge, you know, this monster who historically has never been, you know, quotations great, but actually, if I charge this monster in because he's, you know, he's fairly cheap, fits in my list, and then if he can roar at a unit, and then I charge him with another unit, then that unit can actually reliably do something because that, the, you know, my counter unit is not receiving any commands in that combat phase. You know, they have no chance of getting the plus one save or the plus one to hit. So you know you can start to really pick a pick apart your army and start to rebuild how you how you thought your lists were made. So it just gives more options. I I really like it. it's a thing. Um, the last two we'll, we'll briefly touch on is you've got Titanic Jewel, which is you know exactly as it sounds. Pick any uh, one enemy monster within three plus one to all hit rolls for attacks made by this model that target that enemy monster until the end of the combat phase. Um, you would imagine that if you're fighting against another monster that he might also pick that, but you might choose not to. You know, we've, we've had it come up a few times where somebody will pick Titanic Jewel because they really want the plus one to hit um, because they think they're then going to start stacking all these other commander points um, or start, you know, issuing this command, this command that might buff them in the combat phase. And then your opponent might choose to roar instead. So then all of a sudden you've you thought you were going to get you know your plus one to hit from Titanic Jewel and maybe another something from a command. And then if they just roar at you instead, you just can't do that command. So you can you can sort of like counterplay what your opponent's going to do with their monster, uh, which is cool. Then Smash the Rubble is the last one, uh, which is essentially pick one faction terrain feature or defensible terrain feature within three inches of this model and roll a dice. On a three up, the terrain feature is demolished if it was defensible, and the scenery rules on its war scroll cannot be used for the rest of the battle if it was a faction terrain feature. I think, like, <laughs> that's cool. Like, that's really interesting as well. And it just means that it's worth bringing a monster, even if you're, you're not running like a you know Ben Johnson-style monster mash list. You can still dig out, like, dig out a relatively smallish monster and go go cruising for some um, some some terrain to smash up, especially something like a Gloomspite Gits uh, shrine that's giving you a battle shock immunity. Imagine cruising a monster into the back of that shrine, the Herdstone, the you know OBR Obelisk, um, even the Sylvan of Wildwood. Turn all the rules off on their war scroll. So and and also because it's the end of the charge phase, you don't have to charge. You can move and run. Right, so you can you can effectively get that monster to where it needs to be very quickly, and then on three up, demolish that terrain feature. Um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily build my entire list around doing that thing, but it, again, it's another real cool option you have there. Also, you've got you've got things like Ocatrices, who are monsters. I, I mean, they're monsters of chaos, but they are also a keyword monster, or Chimeras, who are like fairly 
fairly small. You've got dragon ogre shagoths, you know, nice kind of relatively dinky ones. Um, obviously, all the usual ones like Scarbrand and more crushers and things like that. Um, but yeah, I think you've got like some fairly interesting choices of some sort of slightly smaller monsters that you may not necessarily see as often. So, like the Morngul, is the Morngul going to see a resurgence? So, I think there's loads of options for for those small units, isn't it? And I think it's also worth remembering that the big monsters you already love are going to get bigger. You know, so it's it's not just saying the small monsters have got the buff, but there is, you know, like I said, it reassesses. You reassess what you want to take. Um, but all monsters have access to this, and it's just it's a really cool mechanic. I think Roar is going to be the one that's going to have the most impact. Um, definitely, definitely, yeah. It's going to be the one that you're going to almost forget about. Like, you know, it, oh, I've got a master plan. I'm going to, you know, stack all these orders or all these uh, commander abilities rather, um, and then suddenly, bam, you can't do it. Because your opponent's rolled a three up, and there's so many times that comes up. You know, when I've I've been playing some games in the run up, and um, you know, you've sort of failed to cast your Mystic Shield. You know, oh, that's okay. You know, I wanted the plus one save, but I can, you know, I can do all out defense in the combat phase, and then all of a sudden that monster comes crashing in, roars at you, and all of a sudden you failed your Mystic Shield. You can't issue the commands, and then the monster who inevitably has some rend just goes carving through stuff. So it's uh, yeah, it's one it's one to watch. It's um, it's a cool little rule that. My my favourite uh, part about this page, page 272, uh, just below the Monstrous Rampage table, isn't the Monstrous Rampage table itself. It's the fact that Games Workshop have used uh, an image of a Bastilodon. And it says, the Monstrous Rampage rules reflect the fact that the sheer mass of some creatures is a weapon of, in itself. Some of these undors will surely be trampled by this Bastilodon if it thunders into them. Um, but the Bastilodon that they've pictured it is armed with an arc of Sotek. <laughs> Just like, this is just unrealistic, guys. Come on. <laughs> like, <Mate. no. laughs> take this like imaginary Bastilodon with snakes on it that no one uses. Just put a laser beam on it like real, real players do. <laughs> but maybe, maybe the Ark of Sotek is a thing now because you can do D3. Um, a lot more wounds, right? Lots of wounds when you charge in. Let me just have a look at the, the Ark of Sotek rules. So. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made by an arc of Sojek is six, that attack inflicts one mortal wound and the sequence ends. And you get, what, 18 attacks on a four plus, and it needs to be a six. Mm. So you're going to get three three more wounds averagely. Yeah, I'm still I'm still not convinced they're worth taking. But, you know, there's still hope. Age of Sigma 4 might, you know, redeem it. <laughs> right, now moving on to uh, some other rules. So... Um, 25.3.2, reinforced units. Now, again, we are going to be talking about unit composition, army composition, and, and this in a little bit further details, but I just in a future episode, but I think this is a quite a significant change. Essentially, you can only reinforce units a certain number of times, depending on the level of points you're taking. And what I mean by a reinforced unit is a unit where you take more models than its kind of vanilla size. Yeah, that's sort of the min, the min size. So every unit has its minimum size, doesn't it? So the reinforcements just um, caps how many units you can do that to. Um, so a reinforced unit has twice as many models as its minimum size. If you can include reinforcement units in your army, you can reinforce units with the battle line battlefield roll twice. A unit that is reinforced twice has three times as many models in it and counts as two units towards the number of reinforcement points you can include in your army. So essentially... And for example... At 2,000 points, you get four reinforced units. Correct, yeah. So you can reinforce four separate units once each, or you can reinforce two battle line units twice, 
or any combination of that. But the key thing to remember here is your non-battle line units can only be reinforced once. I can't tell whether this is stealth crazy or just not really that relevant only for some lists. Because how guess, many yeah, lists... I'd love to like go on ListBot and have a look at how many lists actually reinforce units um, like a decent number of times. So it's not something like Skaven or Gits. Yeah, so I guess like non-battle line units. But then if you are if you have a general that unlocks something as battle line, then it can be reinforced twice. So one mm. thing that I thought that sprang to mind was um, the Doors of Cain sisters, you know, the snake archers. Um, they come in fives. You can't... I mean, I guess the key thing is people are running them in 20s, which you can't do because they're five minimum. So you can maximum take 15 because you can only reinforce it twice if you're battle line, which means you then have to take a Malusai general. And if you don't, you can only take them in 10s. So yeah. it and has... the same for, like, Gloomspite Gits. I wonder whether they're going to... I mean, I wonder whether. Of course, we are not, we're doing this without the General's Handbook, so we don't see what the unit minimum is. But if you look at something like the Spider Riders, they're 100 points for five. Now, you can reinforce them twice, so up to 15. 15 of them, yeah. The unit... The unit maximum is thirty, and their battle line. So, so they, you're, either they, never going to, you're either never going to have units of thirty. Maximum is going to be fifteen, or in the new general's handbook, they're going to be core unit size ten. I think that'll be the key thing to wait for is the is the handbook here because without that, we don't really know where that's going to sit in terms of like what what are the minimums, what are the reinforcements, what are the what are the what are the battle lines. Um, and yeah, we, we, we we know from trends historically with with general's handbooks that. These are the things that, that that shake up the army list building as well. Um, so you know, we just... I think you've, you've, you've touched on an interesting point there about waiting. You know, yes, reinforced units are is a significant, like a fundamental change to how you design lists and build armies. But we don't know what the landscape that the general hands book, handbook is going to bring is yet. So don't all kind of sit there and think, oh, my army's ruined because I can't take 30 spider riders. <laughs> For all you all you spider fan flares out there, <laughs> but all three of you, don't get really upset. Um, you know, I'm not upset and I like my spiders. So uh, let's just like wait until you've got the GHB in front of you and you, you've got all the, all the news. It's like all these people reacting to the war composts and being like, this is rubbish or this has changed and I don't like it. Um, there's two things we'll get don't like the way things are and change exactly and what's even worse is when you know half of what's going on so i think that's the key thing is waiting you know the the walcom the walcom snippets are, have been really good um you know I've, I've written a couple of articles on there and they are uh you know good fun and there's like a little little tip and a little teaser here and there um but until you well, have that's the, all the it full... is. it's a teaser it's a trailer yeah. it's something to build excitement and um and that's that's what it is. It's cool. Like the new edition's coming. Um, it's going to come very soon. And there's, you know, let's get all as much of the information as we can before we start. You know, throwing out um, vitriol online about how the game's ruined. Exactly. And also, like who, you know, I, I wouldn't be very impressed, honestly, if I was a player and I had a brand new edition of the book come out and brand new handbooks and brand new everything, and I could use my exact same army from two years ago. I'd be a bit disappointed, honestly. Um, I want new things. I want to paint up my new monsters. <laughs> Yeah, totally. But not only do I want to paint new monsters, I want those new monsters to be able to do cool new things. Exactly, yeah. So, um, on unit composition, uh, it's got the st standard rule of conditional replaces standard battlefield rules. So, if you are a battle line uh, terror geist or zombie dragon, then you are battle line, you're no longer a Bearmoth, which is quite interesting because that impacts how they fit into core battalions. Uh, we won't be talking about core battalions today, um, A, because there's been a Warcom article on them which has covered the basics, uh, but also B, because we'll be talking about army composition in a future episode. Uh, but one point to draw out here is that the 
the core battalion that allows you to do one drop means one drop. It's no longer a little bit here and a little bit there. Or, or a little bit here, and then you can drop them all in one go. It's it's one drop means one drop. Exactly. And it also clarifies that that is the only battalion that can one drop. So Absolutely. this is, I mean, we haven't really covered it yet. Um, and like I said, uh, this is this is a whole episode on its own because this is this is the fundamental changes to your army list building. You know, the core battalions, the changes to reinforcement points, um, whatever the handbook will bring, that redefines how you build your armies. Um but the key thing here is, you know, you now have to actively choose. You can have this unified um, rule from the battle regiment, which is a one drop. And like you said, it must be a one drop. So none of this, oh, I'm a one drop, but I've kind of got 12 units. So what I'm going to do is drop it in 11. So I beat you. And then you get these 11 individual drops. It's now just everything goes on the table in one go. You have to really commit if you want to have that one drop. Um, all these other battalions have really cool rules. Uh, you get extra enhancements, whatever they may be. You get um, to you know to issue orders without having to spend command points for these other battalions. But all of them are as many drops as the units are within them. So absolutely, and even and, the and one drop is capped. Enhancements we're going to be talking about later um, yeah. in another future episode because there are universal enhancements. And what we're talking about enhancements, we're talking about uh, command traits, artifacts, spell laws, prayer scriptures, mountain traits, triumphs, and other unique enhancements. So again, enhancements and stuff like that is going to be uh, a thing that we're discussing in future episodes. But there are two pages of universal enhancements that everyone has can have access to which i think is which is cool it just means that you know it doesn't matter when your uh, battle tome comes out for aos 3 you've got access to these here right right here right now yeah and some some of them as well have um real big impacts on current books um so i, I, th- I think there's going to be a nice split you know historically in aos 2 the the way the sort of the game played out and your armies were built and and, and which armies had war score battalions which ones didn't it was all about i need to get as low a drop as absolute possible everyone needs to be you know three to four drop to be competitive and if you're not then you might as well be 25 that was kind of the the attitude but i think i think there's a real real tight decision to be made now between you know do i go for this one drop which ultimately is you know great i get to out out deploy my opponent choose who goes to first in the first round which as we know from the cp stuff is really important but the enhancements are massive as well but then if you go for the enhancement one which requires a minimum of three hero models you know one leader and two sub commanders some armies a will really struggle to fit things in that battalion or they have to really work against it. You know, if you're playing uh, Gristle Gore, Flesh Eaters, and you want your three big Gribblies, you're not going to be able to also fit in two leaders with less than two 10 wounds. Like, you just won't be able to fit all that into the battalion. And then if you do, you're going to be lost to drop. So it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a nice marry-up. And when, when you do go into those enhancements, you'll see, you'll see why, I think. I think that is a fantastic point to end on about that choice and about how essentially this has reset the game you know don't approach age sigma 3 from a how can i fit my old army into this new edition it's reset your lists you know put everything to one side yeah fine it might mean you buy some more models but hey who cares new models are cool right um like work out how you can build a list from scratch using the new rules rather than shoehorn your existing list in. Because if you're going to do that, you're going to be inherently restricted. Um, and then ultimately, if you're looking at performing well competitively in match play, uh, then that's not necessarily going to be the best place to start from. That said, clearly, if you've got your, you know, your 
spider fang army let's say <laughs> you know i've got my spider fang army i've got you know i've got three big spiders and a whole bunch of little spiders and some medium-sized spiders like am i going to be buying anything different no i'm just going to be like working out how how the best way to bring what i've got in is that's fine but with something like a seraphon collection where i've got a huge amount of models to draw from i'll be going back to the drawing board completely and basically like not how can i make my thunderstrike start um temple host for in age of sigma 2 how can i make that work in 3 i'll just be like right how do i do monster heavy seraphon in age of sigma 3 like regardless of what war scrubbers having existed before what what i've got painted you know if it means i'm gonna to have to buy more carnosaurs then so be it like there's just there's just so much to choose from and go in with an open mind and uh you know a notebook to one side your battle tome to the other and just just go go crazy like it's a really fantastically exciting place to be with a new edition. And when when we start gaming together, everyone's going to be on the same page. I think that's you. You said it exactly right. It's the it's the big reset, you know. And you know, some people are worried about it, and I, I don't think people should be. It's it's a great opportunity, like you said, to to just re look at all of your collections. What have you got in your book? What what have I not used for ages? How does that now fit in with this role and this rule and everything else? And you know, massive shout out to the to the studio team. They've put a tremendous amount of effort into this, um, all the way down to the tiny little minutia. And it's it's such an exciting addition. It's um, you know, I've been scribbling. My book is filled with lists of all these things I want to sort of explore and get onto the table. And honestly, I just can't wait to to actually get out there and start playing again. People who are going to do well. Uh, at the early tournaments in Age of Sigma 3, other people that uh, approach their army in this building from a from a fresh start, not how do I put my two army into three. Agree completely. Yep, 100%. And I think that's a great place to be because it means you get a whole lease of life in existing things. Like, for goodness sake, I was talking about Doomfire Warlocks. <laughs> like, you know, since when was the last time you saw them on the thing? And now they can arcane bolt and go go crazy. Like, it's super interesting. It's a good place to be. And I think with, um, you know, the world opening back up again and, um, there's just going to be lots of people playing lots of exciting games and finding out how it all comes together. Um, you know, and this is this is just the core rule changes. We haven't we haven't really touched on everything else. So um, yeah, very exciting, and it's uh, it's been super awesome to be part of that process as well. Well, Steve, thank you very much for joining us on Priority Role. We may have you back in uh, for a future episode of our Age of Sigma 3 coverage. Um, team, if you've enjoyed listening to this, then stay tuned, uh, You know, subscribe and all that jazz, because we will be releasing new AOS content specifically about Age of Sigma 3 in the upcoming days and weeks for a, a kind of uh, a classic Priority Role return to form. And we'll be kicking out more podcast content in the near future. Steve, always a pleasure. Take care. Thank you, Dan. Cheers, mate. Bye. Thanks for listening to Priority Roll. If you want to get in touch with us, we're at Priority Roll on both Twitter and Instagram. You can send us an email, priorityrollpodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to anchor.fm forward slash priority roll and leave us a voice message. If you want to leave us some feedback, we're always looking to improve, or if you just want to suggest a topic to talk about on one of our upcoming shows, then feel free to get in contact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for listening to Priority Roll.